Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! It is finally draft week. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Monday, April the 23rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, just three days away from the big, big night, it's going to be all about the draft this week on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Today, we will revisit the draft classes of 2012, 2013, and 2014. I will get into the weeds on the Dolphins' scattered reports about their interest in quarterbacks and what it means for pick 11, and we'll briefly talk fashion and get into the Miami Dolphins' new uniforms. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Five-star rating and reviews help the podcast grow. Get out to more Dolphins. Helps us continue to do the podcast with Locked On Dolphins. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL, the number one follow on Dolphins' Twitter, and at LockedOnFins for the show. Check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network. We have a P up right now on LockedOnDolphins.com talking about the current tight ends on the roster, AJ Derby, Marquise Gray, Gavin Escobar, and Thomas Duarte. Just what do the Dolphins have in those tight ends and how do they wish to employ them within the offense? A really good piece on LockedOnDolphins.com detailing all of that right now. And of course, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. We have an absolutely packed slate of shows this week for you guys. Let's go ahead and get right into it here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And on first down, we got some news and notes to clean up here just a little bit. Not really so much news as much as just opinions about certain players and certain aspects of the team that we can talk about that pertains to the draft after the fact here in about a week or so. So the two players that I really wanted to get to real quickly were Kenny Vaccaro and CJ Anderson, both at positions of need for the Dolphins, both veterans that have produced in the past, both guys that would serve to fill holes on this roster and certain roles within this roster, both as a potential slot cornerback for Kenny Vaccaro, a change of pace slash second running back to Kenyon Drake and CJ Anderson. So these guys both are players that could be big contributors for the Miami Dolphins in 2018 if they are inked to new deals. We'll see what the draft has for us in store, but that's definitely going to play heavy into whether or not these guys come over to the Miami Dolphins and get contracts and play for them in 2018, whether it's one-year deals or multi-year deals. But like I said, both guys can definitely contribute to the roster this year. And if the Dolphins don't get a crack at Derwin James or Mika Fitzpatrick in the first round, they don't get a crack at Sonia Michelle, Nick Chubb, whoever it might be at that running back position, they have some guys in the hopper, so to speak, that could come into the fold and be productive members in 2018. So some flexibility and some safeguards to the 2018 draft, just in case it doesn't go in their favor. And also some actual news. Dolphins released some new uniforms on Thursday, just before the schedule release show. We didn't get into it because we were the ones breaking the schedule for you guys. The first ones to have the entire Dolphins schedule up live. Big thanks to my source again for getting that out to me as soon as possible. We beat the Palm Beach Post. We beat the Miami Herald. And most importantly, Portland, we beat the Finsider by a significant margin on that schedule release day. So thank you guys for all joining me on that, getting to that podcast, getting to that column. And we actually have football coming up around the corner, but a lot of people still are very, very concerned about the, what the jersey looks like or what it's going to be in the future. And the Dolphins went back to 
I guess, almost correct the things that fans wanted to see them do. The fans obviously all love the throwback uniforms from the Monday night game over the New England Patriots, the Week 17 game over the Buffalo Bills, the loss in that game, I should say. Personally, I'm not that big into uniforms. I do like the current uniforms or the ones that I guess we, we had in 2017, 2016. I was a big fan of the clean white look. I liked the white jerseys with the aqua pants. But the new ones, they, they do look better because of that drop shadow behind the number, the just straight teal and orange, the Dolphins' primary colors, kicking out that marine blue out of the uniforms altogether, I thought was a good move. They, descri- they described it as historically modern. And I'll tell you, I, I said off the top of this, I'm not a big jersey guy. I don't really care what they wear. And I've owned a lot of jerseys. You guys can see the picture on my Twitter timeline of about the 17 or 18 jerseys I've owned in my lifetime as a Dolphins fan. But at age 30, going on 31 here, coming up pretty quickly in October, I decided I'm not going to buy a jersey anymore. I think it's kind of maybe a little bit childish in that sense. I mean, I don't, I don't knock anyone that does it because I love wearing them and I love what they look like and I think it's really cool, but I just think at a certain point, maybe I, I don't need to wear jerseys anymore of another player and I'm never going to get a jersey with my own name on it. I don't think that's, that. I don't like that at all. So these new uniforms though, they kind of made me rethink that, that position of not being a guy that actually buys jerseys anymore. So I'm not going to do it, but if I did, these ones I love, I'd get another 17 Ryan Tannehill jersey, but I'm going to hold strong and not do it. So off top of the show, I mentioned to you guys, there's a tight end piece up on LockdownDolphins.com. And what I did in that piece was got into the weeds based on what the Dolphins want to do with their tight end position in Adam Gaze's offense. It's a position that is very integral to what they want to do in terms of isolating matchups and getting guys in favorable positions to go ahead and move the chains and put points on the board. And what Adam Gase had with Julius Thomas back in Denver was a phenomenal look at creating that Y-ISO, that backside formation isolation up against a safety or a linebacker that just cannot simply keep up with Julius Thomas in his prime. They tried it last year with him again in Miami. He is well past that prime now. And when you get three receivers split to one side, you have that opportunity on the backside of the formation if you have a flexible move piece type of tight end that can do that type of stuff. And the Dolphins would really be wise to go ahead and address that. I'm sure they will in the draft early on, whether it's 42 or 73, maybe a trade back scenario in there somewhere. They're going to get a tight end relatively high in this class. And in that piece, I kind of detailed what we could expect from A.J. Derby, Marquise Gray, Gavin Escobar, and Thomas Duarte. And A.J. Derby was brought over late in the year from waivers, and he has a little bit of that detach, kind of can play one-on-one on the perimeter with certain cornerbacks, or can he? I mean, in the in the piece, I talked about the fact that he went up against Marcus Peters twice in that Chiefs game and just couldn't even come close to getting any separation on both those occurrences there. He has a little bit of speed, a little bit of twitch to himself, but not really a real polished tight end. There's a reason he's been on three teams in three years. Marquise Gray, on the other hand, more of an H-back fullback type. We talked about that there. And then Gavin Escobar and Thomas Duarte really just kind of camp bodies at this point. We'll see if one of them gets a crack at making the roster, depending on what the Dolphins do in the draft. Well, you guys can read that on LockedOnDolphins.com right now. It's up there live, the tight end piece, taking tight end, taking the inventory of the tight end class there on LockedOnDolphins.com. We have plenty more to come on the podcast here, including quarterback rumors and reviews of previous draft class at lethal NFL at locked on fins. 
Once again, we are just three days away from the NFL Draft. Thursday night in Dallas, 5 o'clock Pacific Time, 8 o'clock Eastern Time. There have been plenty of rumors going around, and if you haven't been on Dolphins Twitter or basically alive as a Dolphins fan for the past two months, you haven't seen any of these quarterback rumors that are going around. First, it was Baker Mayfield. Everyone was just enamored with Baker Mayfield, what he was, the whole crotch grab, I guess the mentality, the fact that he's a quote-unquote alpha dog that Adam Gaze might like. We learned that Baker Mayfield wasn't coming to Miami. He's going to go too high for them to have a chance to draft him. So now everybody has fallen in love with the chosen concussion one, Josh Rosen, two concussions last year, a torn labrum in his right shoulder the year before, a major medical risk that everyone has become enamored with. And I saw a tweet today saying that everyone is doing that because they just don't like Tannehill and any quarterback in the first round will do. Well, I'm sorry to break it to you, but that's just how you end up with a bust in the first round, just taking a guy because he plays a specific position. So if they like Josh Rosen, if they really think he's a franchise quarterback, go ahead and do it. But all these rumors and all the speculations surrounded around the quarterback position, I'm not buying it for a second. And you guys can point to the fact that I'm a big Tannehill supporter. I believe he's a good player and going to be a very good quarterback for the Dolphins for the long-term future here in Miami. You can point to all that, but I just don't buy it because of the simple fact that they have had their messages sent out this offseason Everything they've done in terms of tangible evidence, what they have done with the fingerprints on the football team points to magnifying Ryan Tannehill's strengths and trying to reduce the weaknesses that he does have. And by doing that, they continue to get themselves into these mixes of conversations about trading up for these quarterbacks, tending off pick 42 and 73 to get up to go draft a quarterback who will be a backup in 2018. Makes zero sense to me. What does make sense to me is selling that bill of goods about going up for a quarterback because you have teams like Buffalo picking at 12 directly behind you. Arizona at 15, three picks behind you, excuse me, four picks behind you that has Sam Bradford on the roster right now, a very injury-prone quarterback. you got the Washington Redskins. They have Alex Smith on a long-term deal, but how long are they comfortable with that? Baltimore Ravens at 16 need a quarterback to take Joe Flacco's job because he has been horrendous for the last three or four years. There are plenty of teams that will try to come up and get a quarterback in that top 10 if they start to slide. So what would Miami like to do? They want to sell that bill of goods that they're going to go ahead and make a move themselves and force a team to come up over the top of them, which kicks a team down from like, let's say eight or nine in Oakland or San Francisco. That takes a a team that would take a defensive player out of the top 10. It brings a team that wants a quarterback into the top 10, which then does what? It forces a defensive player down to number 11, where the Dolphins pick, where they have the big weakness, where this draft is strong, and this position. Go ahead and take your quarterbacks way too high. Overreach for those quarterbacks because you have to do it in this league. That just kicks some more blue chip defenders down the line to the Miami Dolphins at pick 11, where you can address the bad third down defense. You can address the bad red zone defense. You can address the bad linebacker position that hasn't been able to cover tight ends and running backs for my entire life now, it seems. That's the Dolphins thinking. They have done it with their moves in the offseason, their way they have spelled out their poker game. It just all adds up to connect the dots to Ryan Tannehill being the guy and trying to get a defensive player to slide to that spot. So, are they going to take a quarterback? Absolutely. I definitely think they will. First round, not a chance. It's going to be a defensive player, a blue chip one. And I keep seeing these these tweets about how well the Dolphins would be smart to get a quarterback this year because 2019's class isn't very good. And the top quarterback in that class would only be the sixth best quarterback in this class, which is just a, a really mind-boggling take to have because... At this time last year, Baker Mayfield was thought of as a second or third round pick, the famed Omar Kelly tweet that has been dragged up and down Twitter the last couple of days, which I'm very glad to see that people are catching on to his fraud level of journalism. 
That's neither here nor there, though. Let's go back to the point and talk about the fact that Mayfield wasn't a viewed as a top three quarterback, not even close to it. You had guys like Luke Falker pushing to be the first round, be a, a first round quarterback, rather. You had guys like Lamar Jackson that no one knew where to place him. It's just so much happens in a year. You're basing these guys' as production in college off of two or three years tops. I guess some of them play four. Not very likely if you're playing as a freshman. That probably means you're going to go to the NFL after your junior year. But you have three, four years of, two, or excuse me, two to three years of production for these guys. That's a very limited sample size when you consider they play 10 to 12 games a year. You have 20, 30 games of tape on these guys at most and the in a period of their life where they're still developing. So to go ahead and put a ceiling on them then, to put a final stamp on that tape right there, you have to project with these college players. You're not getting a product that you know what it is right away. You're projecting what they will be. So going ahead and saying that 2019's class isn't good is complete hogwash. Don't listen to it. There are guys like Will Greer out of West Virginia who looks very good. Uh, the quarterback at Arizona that I'm in love with right now, we'll see what happens to him. He's not really refined as a passer, but like I said, he's 20 years old. Khalil Tate was Lamar Jackson light over here on the West Coast in Arizona. You have Drew Locke, the Missouri product that looks like a really good quarterback going forward. So it's just very, very silly to claim that no one will be as good as these quarterbacks because somebody will jump up. There'll be three or four guys taken in the first round just like every single year. So don't necessarily buy the hype around the quarterback. It's all a poker game at this point. We are just three days away, luckily, from learning the real fate of all these players. And we'll get into some past draft classes and give you guys a little bit of stroll down misery lane on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. We've got one more segment here on Locked On Dolphins podcast, and I started doing the draft class reviews a couple of weeks ago, and I kind of got away from them. Things started to happen. We got busier, had more things to talk about, but it's a little bit of a slow Sunday slash Monday podcast here. So let's go ahead and get into a few of these classes and review them that are a little bit more relevant to today's Dolphins team and actually talk about one of the guys that is one of two players that was actually drafted prior to 2014 that is still on the team. The first pick in the draft, number eight overall, Ryan Tannehill, our quarterback from Texas A&M. He is still on the team, obviously. A bit of a tumultuous career for him so far in terms of fan perception, but he has worked out and been a good player for the Dolphins for a number of years. Second round pick, number 42, where the Dolphins actually picked this year. Offensive tackle out of Stanford, Jonathan Martin. Probably one of the worst picks in Dolphins history. You go down to the third round, pick number 72, D-end, Olivier Vernon from Miami. It's a shame they couldn't get a second contract done, but he was very, very good in his time with the Dolphins in that same round, just six picks later. Michael Egnew, the tight end from Missouri, most famous for getting yelled at over and over and over again by Dan Campbell on the Hard Knocks series. Fourth round, Lamar Miller, the running back from Miami as well, had a nice career with the Dolphins, couldn't re-sign here, has kind of fallen off with the Houston Texans, but had a nice career with the Miami Dolphins. And then Josh Cadu, linebacker out of Oregon in the fifth round, B.J. Cunningham, receiver out of Michigan State in the sixth round, and then Keeson Randall, defensive tackle out of Texas in the seventh round. All three of those players did not work out one iota. And then the seventh round, pick number 227, wide receiver out of Nevada with Colin Kaepernick over there. Rashard Matthews, who in my opinion was... One of the guys they they should have done more to keep in the 2015 season, they had drafted Devontae Parker, and then Rashard Matthews gets onto the field, has a better 2015 season than Parker by a long shot, and then that kind of spelled the writing on the wall for Matthews. He gets pushed out towards Tennessee as a free agent. They don't bring him back. He has been a very good receiver for the Titans there, so missed out there. But in this draft class, Tannehill, Vernon, Miller, and Matthews, one of the best draft classes the Dolphins have had in recent memory. We go to the next season in 2013, 
and go from one of the best drafts in team recent history to the all-time worst draft and all-time worst offseason. Let's start with the draft here. Traded up from number 12 to number three. They gave a second round draft pick in doing so to get Deion Jordan, defensive end from Oregon. Complete bust. Probably the worst draft pick in Miami Dolphins history. Second round pick 54. I love this guy out of Boise State. Cornerback Jamar Taylor. Traded him off. He could never get it going. He was always injured. He plays for the Cleveland Browns. Has had a nice little career for them so far. In the third round, everybody's favorite punching bag, the 77th pick in that draft, Dallas Thomas, the tackle guard from Tennessee. And you could probably charge him with assault on Ryan Tannehill or or I guess accessory to assault as he allowed Tannehill to get beaten to a pulp every time he was on the field. And then the same round, pick number 93, Will Davis, the cornerback out of Utah State. Didn't work out for him. In the fourth round, Jelani Jenkins from Florida had a really good look in 2014 season or the first half of it and then fell off of a cliff and was a tr- just a horrendous player for the Dolphins after that. In the same round, Deion Sims, tight end from Michigan State. He provided a solid number two tight end for the Dolphins for a number of years before finally getting the number one job in 2016. He battled some injuries here and there. He never really became the big pass receiving threat we hoped he would, but he was a good player before going to the Chicago Bears in 2017. Mike Gillisley in the fifth round and Caleb Sturgis, both guys that went on elsewhere and are still playing in the league. Gillisley with the Patriots, Sturgis with the Eagles, I believe it last was. And the seventh round, strong safety out of Arkansas State, Don Jones. Obviously not much there, but in that same year, the Dolphins spent a bunch of money on Mike Wallace. Brandon Gibson. They re-signed Brian Hartline to a big contract. They swapped out Kevin Burnett and Carlos Dansby for Danelle Ellerby and Philip Wheeler. They did get Brent Grimes. Dustin Keller got hurt in the preseason. Tyson Claybo was a nightmare as well. So the worst offseason in team history, possibly the worst offseason in NFL history. And that goes forward to the 2014 draft where the Dolphins redeemed themselves in the first round. Their current starting right tackle, pick number 19, Jawan James out of Tennessee, was thought of as a reach at the time. He probably was. I wanted Brandon Cooks in that spot. Here we are nonetheless. He's been a good player the last couple of years at right tackle. And then in the second round, probably one of the best draft picks of the last decade or so for the Miami Dolphins, Jarvis Landry, pick number 63, wide receiver out of LSU. Obviously couldn't make it work with a contract this year, but now he has a massive contract with the Cleveland Browns. So he worked out pick number three or pick number 67 in the third round, Billy Turner out of North Dakota State. Loved his tape at left tackle. He got moved around the offensive line about 10 times. I still blame Joe Philbin for him busting on this team more than anything. In the fourth round, Walt Akins out of Liberty is a good special teamer for the Dolphins right now. Tight end Arthur Lynch in the fifth round from Georgia and Jordan Tripp, linebacker out of Montana. I remember when they took Jordan Tripp, he had a quote saying, if I had played at Texas or USC, I'd be regarded as the best linebacker in this class. Well, we all saw how that worked out for him. In the sixth round, my favorite guy, Matt Hazel out of Coastal Carolina, he actually quoted a tweet of mine saying that Landry was not as good as AJ Green and said I was a dumbass. So good on you, Matt Hazel. I'm glad that you're still doing things in the league, buddy. In the seventh round, Terry Terrence Fiday, defensive end out of Merst. He had a very nice career for the Dolphins before signing with the Buffalo Bills this offseason. So the draft classes have gotten better as the years have gone on. The Dolphins were obviously in that 7-9, 8-8 infamy for a long, long time. But these classes are getting better. Chris Greer has had some good drafts the last couple of years. And the Dolphins just seem to have kind of turned a new leaf under Chris Greer opposed to what Dennis Hickey and Jeff Ireland were. Despite the fact that Hickey had a pretty good 14 draft and that Ireland had debatably the best draft in NFL history last year with with the New Orleans Saints. We have a lot coming up this week on the podcast, guys. In the next few days, we'll discuss tradable assets on the Dolphins roster. I will unveil my seven-round Dolphins mock, the final one. I'll give you guys a full first-round mock draft 
in the NFL. I'll give you my reactions to each potential pick in the first round, and we'll do a pre-draft Twitter mailbag either on Tuesday or Wednesday. I haven't decided on that yet. And then after the draft, we are going to be busy. We're going to have you guys covered with 360-degree coverage of all these new Dolphins. We'll have a podcast dedicated to each one of the Dolphins' new draft picks from their upbringing and background, some quotes from coaches and players that have played with them in the past, to what they are as a football player, to how the Dolphins will incorporate them into the defense or offense on either side. You guys are going to know these Dolphins inside and out. We'll review the entire roster and break it down with Ian Wharton at a time that is going to be determined later on in the future. But as for today's podcast, that is going to do it. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and follow our flagship show at Locked On NFL on Twitter and Facebook. And check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, Locked On Dolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.